there's a sense that you you never have to be lonely again. There's a sense that there's always a way forward, but I need to ask God what that is. There's a sense that even if I make a mistake, God is going to be with me and we, we will work this out. We will keep going. And I think all of that is worth so much. I think that fills the hole in our heart that nothing else on the earth can fill. That was Jan Johnson, and you're listening to the Things Above podcast. Well, welcome to the Things Above conversation. Our guest today is Jan Johnson, and I've known her a long time. Jan Johnson is one of the leading teachers, speakers, writers in Christian spiritual formation today. She's written many books, including Enjoying the Presence of God, and a book we're going to be talking about some in this podcast today called When the Soul Listens. You'll be hearing a lot about that book. Uh, Jan has degrees in Christian education and spirituality. She's been a teacher at many fine institutions, including Hope International University, Azusa Pacific University, and best of all, Friends <laughs> University. Indeed. Uh, and Jan and I have worked together a long time, been friends for many years, and will do so for many more years to come. Um, and Jan, you wrote in your inscription to my copy of the book, uh, When the Soul Listens, you wrote, To My Partner in Crime Conspiracy. And I like that, a play on Dallas Willard's Divine Conspiracy. We are indeed partners in this crime conspiracy for the kingdom. So, Jen, welcome to the Things Above podcast and this Things Above conversations. And uh, I'm just glad that you're taking the time to be with us. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's just wonderful to... to uh, be with you as always. You and I get to spend a lot of time together throughout the year, which is great with the, through the apprentice experience and other events that bring us together. So I'm grateful for that. But let's talk a little bit about uh, this book of yours called When the Soul Listens. You really, the book's an invitation to people who maybe haven't ever tried contemplative prayer to begin to explore. And, and one of the things that you said that I love, it's early in the book, I think it's like on page four, but you said, when you learned how to pray contemplatively, you discovered you actually liked praying. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. I mean, that shift from, well, the, the, the checklist, the, the, that prayer notebook was a chore, but suddenly it was something you liked doing that. I mean, what a concept, but, um, Talk a little bit with, with what, what do you like about prayer? I mean, what is it that you learned that you really like about that kind of praying? Well, I get a sense that I'm hearing God because I'm getting out of the way and that I, that, that God is, is a real person, a real character, a real personality, and that I have this guidance and I have this friend, like in John 15, 15, mm. when he says, I call you friend. Um, I was no longer trying to kind of run the show and try and get what I wanted, but, but there was a real friendship there. There's, there's a sense that you, you never have to be lonely again. There's a sense that there's always a way forward. Um, but I need to ask God what that is. There's a sense that even if I make a mistake, 
God is going to be with me and we, we will work this out. We will keep going. And I think all of that is worth so much. Mm. I think that fills the hole in our heart that nothing else on the earth can fill. Mm, I love that. And that's, yeah, because it's a, it's a real live, I love the the fact that you mentioned about being friends because yeah, as you know, I'm at friends university and, <laughs> and the, and they, the Quakers took that term from, from John 15, because, you know, when Jesus said, I, I call you friends and that reminds me, Jan, uh, you might find this interesting, but on a, a, a previous podcast that aired before this one that we're doing today, um, I had I had William Paul Young who wrote The Shack. Oh, and uh-huh. and and I and I told him how much I really loved um that 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 scene where the main character Mac is talking to Jesus and he sort of confesses to Jesus, "Well, you know, I haven't been all that religious." And the Jesus character says to him something like, "Well, you know, you know, it's, it's really not about religion. I'm I'm not really interested in servants. I'm 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 interested in having friends." And I, I just love that line, you know, that, mm-hmm. and, it, and, and I, especially in the movie, that scene where mm-hmm. the Jesus care looked at him and just sort of says, I'm just, I'm, I want to have friends. And, uh, and that's what it is. And that's, I think that's the shift that you're describing in the book, because it, it, I mean, it's one thing to have this idea of a, of a distant God who's maybe listening, but shifting that to saying, no, this is a very personal, real this is a God who loves me, a God who's alive and there. And when I interact with that God, that God's there, that God's really, really real. I mean, here's a weird way of illustrating it, but I've, I've thought about this. <laughs> but you know, when you're a little kid and you've got a stuffed animal and the stuffed animal is nice. I mean, it's nice to have a teddy bear <laughs> or whatever it is. And that's, and you try to sort of imagine that it's real and that sort of thing. But what a huge difference it is when you first like get a puppy and you get a real hmm. puppy. And the, and it's like that puppy's alive and that puppy looks at you and licks you in the face and, and gets excited when you're there and wags its tail. And, and that difference between say a teddy bear and a real puppy, and this is a hmm. weird analogy. You're going to have to no, go with I, me, Janet. Do you see where I'm going? Good. Yes, I do. Yeah. And it's, it's like, no, this isn't just a distant God who's, you know, all powerful, all knowing, blah, blah. No, this is a God who's like real to me in the room present, wagging his tail, saying, yes, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And, and and that real live interactive thing is the, is the real, I think that's why you started to love this kind of praying because it was, this was, this God was real and there and relational. And it wasn't just some painful drudgery of checklists. It was, it was a God who knew you. And uh, I think that's why it's such a joyful experience. So thank you for Thanks for that story because, and, and saying it that way, because it reminded me uh, of the joy that prayer is really supposed to be. And it also reminded me of what, you know, Dallas's great line about that God's the most joyous being in the universe and how stunning that is for a lot of us. It's like, whoa. I remember the first time I read that line in Divine Conspiracy, I thought, mm-hmm. no, he's not the most, he's mad. He's, mm-hmm. he's up in the heavens. He's, he's putting up with us. And then, I was like, no, he's actually really joyful. And how different is to pray to a God who's joyful than to a God who you think is mad? Yeah. And this isn't just about a me, myself, and I kind of thing, because what happens is that through my, my little phrase is that you do the connecting and God does the perfecting. So through connecting with God through prayer, 
I actually loved a difficult person. And so transformation takes place and other people are blessed. So I think, I think that's really important to know that this, this is how God is building a beloved community. It cares deeply for me, but we're partnering together in building this beloved community. And I change. I become a very different kind of person through this, this connecting with God. So um, Dallas said that the missing ingredient in spiritual formation is obedience. And I think this is one of the one of the primary ways that God has helped me be obedient is we talk through stuff mm-hmm. and I come out the other end with a right heart. There it is. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and you know, and, and that is, it's joyful because it's a real live living God who knows you and loves you and is with you. Uh, but there is also that, that difficulty of, uh, of doing what God's calling us to do of obedience, as you talked about. And uh, th- there's a great story you tell uh, on, on page 44 of the book about how um, you were invited by this prestigious writers group to attend <laughs> a gathering. And it was something you relished, something you, you look, you were honored to be invited. And yet it conflicted with your schedule. You'd made a commitment and so you were caught in that uh, dilemma. I mean, t- tell us about that experience and about how your contemplative prayer practice actually shaped how you responded. Oh, I was thinking about that yesterday. Hmm. That's funny. Um, yeah, it was, uh-huh. It was a, a pretty cool invitation and I was so honored, but I realized that I had already made this other commitment and I was I was praying, and and the what came to me was that phrase in Luke about the narrow door, and to make every effort to enter the narrow door. And I had such a sense that God was saying, you know, sticking with what you've promised to do, not. And I think you know, Jim, I'm sure you go through this a lot. There's this thing of shall I do, shall I do the thing that is going to promote me? and put me forward? Or should I do the quieter thing that I have already, that I'm called to do, that I've been invited to do? And I think that was a lot of it too, is that I knew, you know, oh gosh, the networking, oh, you know, it would, and, but, but going ahead and making that, that decision and the event planner where I did end up going told me later that it was, there had been a big crisis and that it was so cool that I was there. And that person didn't know what I'd mm-hmm. been thinking, but, and I remember going, okay, I was pretty sure this was the right thing, but I think that the simple obedience, instead of looking for the bigger and better promo and all that is so important. Yeah. It is, isn't it? I mean, that's, and that's the wonderful thing about this kingdom stuff is you, you did, as you put it, the right thing. And, uh, and the thing is that you don't, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, you know, you didn't need to be in that writer's group. Like it didn't, it wouldn't have made you who you are because you are a fantastic writer. And I mean, that's wonderful to get invitations and to be with those people, but you know, God, you didn't need that to become an established person or to show your value. You, 
that's what I love about the kingdom is that uh, you did the right thing and you didn't miss a thing. You know, there'll be other opportunities to be with other writers and, and I'm sure that God has, has brought you those things. And uh, I, I just love that, how that your, your contemplative prayer practice, it just made it clear what the right thing to do was, you know, that, that integrity to do, to do that thing that God had called you to do and you do it and you don't miss it. I love that. Um, well, there, there are so many ways to pray. Another thing I love about the book is that you, uh, you give us not just one or two, but you give several ways to approach praying. And one that I think maybe some listeners may not have thought about is that you talk about how uh, one of your practices is actually writing your prayers, uh, you know, actually specifically writing out your prayers. How did you come to that practice and what... <laughs> What 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 happens in that process of actually writing your prayers that's maybe different than than other ways of praying? Well, I'd heard it was a good idea, and I refused to do it because that's what I do for a living is I write. And mm. I thought, that's what I do all day. That's not what I'm doing in prayer. And I think I was part of me was afraid it would become mechanical again. And another part of me just felt lazy. So I wasn't going to do it. And then I did an eight day Ignatian retreat and I was required in the Ignatian retreat to write my prayers. And I was required to be, to begin every prayer, dear Jesus. Okay. And I did it and I could not believe it. It was like, um, it wasn't quite as, as big a deal as Wizard of Oz when it goes from black and white to color. But it was sort of like that because I couldn't believe the things I said. You know, Madeline Lingle says, we think that we can't write until we know what we're doing, but really you don't know what you're doing until you write it. And after I wrote down, and it didn't always have to be very long. I mean, you can write like two or three sentences. Um, but once I wrote it down, sometimes I was shocked by being that honest with God Sometimes I was shocked that I I was really more into this than I thought. Um, and then I would notice that as I wrote, this sounds weird, but it's like sometimes I wrote really cool stuff and I have a feeling that was not, I don't know, I can't explain that. Um, that I would later come back and circle with a, a big blue pen because I went, oh man, I really need to do that. I need to be praying that a lot. Mm. And it was like the spirit just really kind of inspired that out of me. Um, but I didn't, that, that kind of thing, it, it just was much more obvious to me. And I, I would say it was much more dramatic in the way that it hit me. Um, and it was much easier to be just super honest and say, you know, God, I just don't even want to whatever it is. And I had I had said those things before, but when you write it down, there's something about it that's wow. You're going, what, really? Mm -hmm. Um, so I just found that to be very powerful. Yeah, that reminds me, Jan, of uh, something Richard Foster said about about uh, journaling and that, uh, how did he put it? He put it, he, you know, Richard's such a great writer, but it was something like that uh, the, the hazy thoughts in our mind become um, crystal clear 
when we put them down, you know, on, on pen and paper. And he said it much better than I just did. But, but the, I think I got the gist of it right. And that is that, um, you know, things that are kind of floating or are you quoted Madeline Lingle? That's a great quote of, well, we're not really sure. Um, but then when you put it down, uh, it, it begins to be much more clear. And, you know, Stanley Harawas said of, of writing, he said, by writing, I learn what I believe, which is yes. a really, that's a strange thing to say. Cause you think, well, no, the, any, any writer sits down and you know what you think before you write it. No, actually, I think if you talk to most writers, I'm sure you'd agree, Jan. I don't. When I set out to write a book, quite often, the book that I end up with are are, are thoughts and ideas that are have taken shape and form I didn't believe or know before I started, <laughs> which is probably shocking to people. They, but that's the way it works for me. That's um, a great quote. That's really what Madeline was saying. Mm-hmm. You don't really know until you write it. Yeah. Yeah. Flannery O'Connor said something quite similar to that as well, that, that, that she didn't really know in fact, what, what her thoughts were until she put them down on paper. Um, so, I mean, I, so I never really, I, and frankly, I'm going to be honest, I've never actually written out my prayers like you did. So I think that's something I'm going to give a try. So thanks for that, uh, that new idea. Another practice you talk about in the book is one that I have done many, many times. And, and that is that you talk about, um, entering into the scriptures sort of imaginatively um, uh, Greg Boyd was on his podcast. He talked, he uses that method of prayer quite a lot. And that is using the imagination to enter into a passage of scripture. And what I liked about what you, you wrote about what this was, you're saying, I think it's on page 55 of the book. You talk about how you ask really good questions. Like what if I were that person? What if I was in this situation and really observing and, and entering into the text in that way? So Talk a little bit about that method of prayer, because it does involve the imagination. I know some of our listeners may be like, well, I don't know if I trust my imagination. I don't know if I should enter, do that kind of prayer, but uh, it's been powerful for me. Talk a little bit about entering into the scripture via the imagination and asking those questions. Well, I think we just need to let our imagination be retrained, just like we do our left brain skills when we do Bible study. So this is just retraining the imagination and an imagination that's been captured by God. Wow. That's powerful. So being able to be in the middle of a scene and to see how it affects me and what that would be like is, is just enormous. One I've been thinking about a lot lately is I've been thinking about Jesus cleansing the temple and imagining that I'm there, and in Matthew 21, or, or is it 26? Um, <laughs> but the Matthew version of it talks about how when he did this, that the lame and the blind came to him to be healed, and the children sang to him. And what that tells me is that the spin that's been put on that text is, in my view, is inaccurate. Because if he'd been really angry, children would not have sung to him. I mean, really, did your kids ever sing to you when you lost your temper? <laughs> right. Um, and the lame and the blind were the weakest in society. You wouldn't go to be healed by an angry guy. Now, there, there was probably lots of passion. And on the other hand, you can't just shove a cow. You need something to help you move a cow. But um, so hence the whip and all that. But it just seems to me that Jesus was 
standing there. He was the master of the house and he had arrived. And I can just see myself right there watching him and thinking, finally, somebody is, somebody gets what this place is about, that it's a house of prayer. Somebody understands and that he stood there. And I think he he practically glowed just like on the transfiguration, you know, because he was declaring, Mm. tear me down. He, He said that tear the temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days because he was the the temple the new temple and just a lot of things that N.T. Wright talks about that but I love thinking about being there and seeing the majesty of Christ and I worry that people people more likely want to see him having a temper tantrum than than and they miss the majesty of it because all those people were drawn to him and I just, wow, I want to continually, Dallas said that the fourth phase of Lexio Divina, the um, contemplation was worship. And mm. it seems to me, I mean, that's the, the, the children had been singing Hosanna and they started singing Hosanna again. Um, so I just think that it was a time, I guess <laughs> I'm an Enneagram one on the, you know, and so I'm I'm a reformer. And the idea that he would reform, but do it with such majesty and and do it with such grace. And there was enough even tenderness there that these people came to him to be healed and the power that he must have exhibited in doing it. And so hence they came to be healed. I just really I like that picture of Jesus as well as Jesus, my friend that this is someone who is going to set the world to rights. Oh, please, somebody do this. Um, somebody speak the truth and and the love may be tough love, but please do that. And I want to be there and maybe someday I'll be able to do that a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I think in my own experience, that's that rings true because if I just read a passage, right? Like I just, if, if I read the story of the cleansing of the temple or something, it, you know, I, I can read it and go, okay, there, they did this. He said that there's that story. I wonder what it means. How do I apply it? What do I take away from it? But when you step into the story in that way and you allow maybe your senses to see and hear and smell and touch, when you really step into it, you just see so much more and you ask really good questions about why would that person have said that? Why did they do that way? What? Yeah. Uh, and, and it comes to life in a way. And, and of course, one question someone may ask is, well, why is that really prayer, Jim or Jan? Why, why that doesn't sound like prayer because prayer isn't, isn't it just asking God stuff? No, it is prayer because you're dependent on the Holy Spirit to take that scene, bring it to life, and then you're interacting. and you know, and you mentioned Lectio, and I, I think whether it's imaginative prayer, the scripture entering in with the senses or, or Lectio Divina, whatever it is, they all are dependent on the spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it prayer, right? Would you agree? Yes. And it's interactive. It's not the kind of prayer where you're talking at him, but it's a, it was like, it's a kind of prayer where it's like Jesus was showing me who he really is. And I was going, Wow, I love it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and there's that real life. It's not just the dead letter. It's a, it's a real living experience. Um, let's well, let's talk about because I just mentioned it. You know, typically, when you ask the average person on the street about prayer, they're going to say, "Well, that's you know offering my uh, request to God," where I just say, "God, would you please do blank and blank?" But you know, one of my favorite chapters in the book is called the, the contemplative request. And <laughs> I, I just love, I don't think I'd ever seen anybody put those two words together because intercession or petition, which, you know, for those who may not know those intercessory prayers, when we pray for someone else, you know, I'm praying for like my friend who's sick, petitionary prayer is praying for ourselves. So it's like, I'm praying for my own stuff, but either way, those are requests, right? But what you've done in that chapter is you've said, how about if we approach request, because there's nothing wrong with that, right? God wants us to make your requests known to God. It says right there in the scripture. But talk a little bit about how approaching intercession petition, these requests from a contemplative perspective changes the way that you ask and the way you listen and the way you go about it. Well, the first thing is that sometimes you just ask God what you should pray for. And sometimes I'll say, okay, here's what I want to ask you for, but could what, what would be the best thing to ask you for? Um, and so the, letting God shape the request, actually. And then in the, and then looking at the request and saying, okay, how, how do I, I think it really forms our soul because we love is doing what's best for someone. So we start thinking about what is really best for that person rather than just what I want. And that's why I put in there about caring for souls and partnering with God in the kingdom. What needs to happen in the kingdom? And I start thinking about, okay, if I looked at this from God's point of view, what might God be thinking? And then finally, it's like, so how, if I'm going to be a part of this, how do, how do I need to get a better heart about this? Or how do I need to, how do I need to back off? How do I need to offer encouragement? Um, just show me what, what's really going on with this person and, and I'll, and I'll come alongside instead of just assuming that whatever my request is, is here it is. Uh, take it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I guess having a conversation about the request. Yeah, I love that. That's really simple, but it really gets at it, doesn't it? It's back to Dallas's thing about prayer is what God and I are doing together. And you're, you, uh, uh, you, that's what you're doing. You're, you're saying, look, I, it's a privilege right? That God, that we live in a universe where, there, where there's a God who says, I want you to offer your requests to me. And yet the contemplative approach is saying, well, I'm not just going to give you my list and say, you know, go do that. I mean, I think Dallas called that dive bombing prayer where we just, <laughs> you know, we just drop our prayers on God, like, okay, fix that, do that, make that happen then. Uh, but, but relationally, you're just saying, Hey, I have a concern about my friend, this, the situation and, uh, how do I pray about it? God, you know, so this begs a question, Jan, this is the big $64,000 question as they say, 
that I think probably a lot of people who are listening may be wondering about, and that is, how do you hear God? Because, you know, Dallas wrote the book, Hearing God, and I know probably nobody I know uh, has been more closely aligned to that book. You've, you've written guides for that book. You've worked with that book more than anybody I know. Um, what would you say to someone who says, I don't know if I hear, how do I hear God? I mean, if I say, hey, God, help me shape this prayer, this request, how, how do we hear God? I know that's a big question, but I'm just going to drop it in your lap, Jan. Let's <laughs> let you go well, with that. I'm happy for you to do that because what I really was hoping to do in When the Soul Listens was put some more feet on the book Hearing God. Um, some just practical ideas. And Dallas talks in there about how God normally speaks to us through our thoughts. And so when we ask God questions, we'll often, we can be pretty sure it's God if it surprises us. Because we know ourselves and we know the kind of things we're going to come up with. So if it surprises us and it's very different from what I would normally come up with, that's often to me a sign that it's from God. It will always be very other-centered. And I think the tone that you hear it in tells you a lot because the tone will match the wisdom from above in James 3, um, 13 through 17. It, it'll be pure, not sarcastic. When people hear sarcasm from God, I'm very suspicious. I'm not sure mm. because sarcasm really means to tear the flesh. Um, yeah. And I don't see God that way. So pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Um, Jesus was really very submissive, you know, come and heal my dog. Okay, here, I'm coming with you. Um, and, and sometimes what I hear from, especially I picture Jesus and me on the park bench and he's saying to me, so uh, how's this working for you? And I'm going, it's not, you're right. Resentment is not a good thing, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it will always, it, it will move towards love. It'll move towards goodness. It'll, it'll be just the right thing that, that you just would not have thought of. Now, one of the things I talk about doing in the book is I talk a lot about the committee that lives in your head, and you've enjoyed my little hats that I have to represent the committee. Um, and I think it's really important to know who the people are that populate our thinking, it, they're really thought patterns, but I like to think of them as people, the, the, the picture perfect person and the kickback kid and the, the rescuer. Um, we know those voices, but it's really good to write down who are those committee members. Because when people tell me that they hear God, a lot of times they're just describing one of their committee members. It's a teacher that they had or a parent that always corrected them. This isn't, this does not sound like the God of scripture. This sounds like somebody crabby that they knew mm. for a long time. So to be able to give God credit for being love, for being patient and kind, right out of 1 Corinthians 13, um, not pushy or rude, that would not be God. You know, not easily irritated. Okay, it's going to take you millions of years to get him irritated, okay? Um, hmm. so it, it will, it will be like that. 
that tone. And the more you do it, the more you get it. It's yes. It's like, um, speak Lord for your servant is listening. What Samuel said, well, it just, it, you know, it takes a while to learn it. Samuel didn't know. He thought it was the priest Eli. And we're like that. Mm. We, as we move along, we get more acquainted with what the voice of God is going to sound like. And, and when we're not sure, we, we call up Jim Smith and say, what do you think? <laughs> Does that sound like something God would say? You know, and a mm. friend will say, um, could be, and then they might ask us some questions, help us think through that. But God will basically, as Dallas outlined in hearing God, all the different ways that people heard God, most of the time it will come through the still small voice. He talked about right. the supremacy of the still small voice, but we have to be very quiet people uh, or we have to be in a space of quietness and not yeah. be agitated and controlling, um, really submissive. Welcome with yeah. meekness, the implanted word that has the power to, to deliver you, to save your mm. soul. That's really good, Jan. I'm, and I, I think you said so many good things, but just to kind of bring it down, I mean, one of the things you said was, look, they, these are often their, their thoughts in our head. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there are, and that's been the case for me. It's, it's I'll say, okay, God, how about, the, you know, what do you think about this? And I'll raise, and if I can be still, as you said, be still, be quiet, be humble, be receptive, all of those qualities and listen. And then when that thought in my head comes and people say, well, it's just your thought in your head. Well, it might be. And that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It might be, but, but I've learned how to discern, um, when it is God. I mean, I, yes. I, and, and quite often, I don't know if it's your experience, but for me, it's quite often very clear, like almost fe- I'll feel it in my body. Even. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, I'll have that really, I think you mentioned Ignatius earlier, but Ignatius talked about, um, he used the image of, uh, of a raindrop falling on a, on a tin roof. Hmm. And there's that, there's that ping, that sharp, and your body doesn't like it. Right. And then there's the sound of, of, uh, a drop falling onto a sponge, hmm. which is this, with this gentle, you can't really even hear it. And I, and I think that's, that's that discernment is, is when it's the, when it's God speaking to me, there's this inner kind of peace, like that sounds like God, that sounds yes. right. Uh, it, it's in, it's key in keeping with the character of God that you just so beautifully mentioned with, with the Corinthians 13. Um, so thank you for that, because I think there are many, many people just don't feel comfortable uh, talking to God and listening and saying, you know, God speaks to me or they think they're weird if they do it and that sort of thing. But God really, I think wants to speak to us and wants to communicate with us. And we have to, and he, and quite often it's not going to be in our alphabet soup. It's not going to be, <laughs> you know, some, we, we want those miraculous things, but it's, it's rarely that way, right? It's, 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 it's going to be in that voice and the, as the supremacy of the still small voice, that's fantastic. Well, Gosh, I've taken up so much of your time, Jan. It's been an absolute joy. You are one of the master teachers in formation, and I'm grateful to be your friend. And I'm grateful you're one of the master teachers in the apprentice experience. And and I want to tell listeners if you want to if you want to be able to be a student of Jan's, just go online, look at our program, go to our website, apprenticeinstitute.org, and uh, you too can be 
uh, uh, one of the students of Jan Johnson and have her maybe even be your spiritual director. That's another blessing. But Jan, thank you for who you are, for what you do. Uh, Thank you for being my friend and uh, being a blessing in my life. And thanks for being on the Things Above podcast. You're very welcome, Jim. It's going to be a joy doing more great work with you. And I do encourage our listeners to go um, get this incredible book uh, because it is is amazing. When the Soul Listens is, I think, the best book on contemplative prayer, a modern book that will teach you how to do these things. So uh, go, go get that book. Jan, thanks again. And I will see you in a couple of months. We'll be together. Yes. So let's, let's have some fun doing that. Again, okay. thanks for being on this podcast. Blessings. And to you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I love talking with Jan. She's just a dear friend and such a, a great teacher on the spiritual life. She has so much to say. And it's a great blessing just to have any time with her. I hope you glean some things from this episode, some things that will help you in your prayer life, in your life with God. I hope you'll join me next week for episode 54. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at ApprenticeInstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that One day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above.